Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. The Fate of the Furious is here. That's Fast and the Furious' eighth instalment. We've both seen it at the movies, and spoiler warning, we'll be discussing it having seen the film, basically. Uh, Lloyd, I saw this on Good Friday. It was a full cinema. It was a very receptive cinema. Everyone was keen on this. It was a real date night for everybody. How about yourself? I just want to give a quick uh, shout-out to the lovely people I saw this with, Andrew Ali, Samantha, and my brother Josh, and I saw this on Thursday, the night it came out, packed cinema, um, a 9.40 session, and uh, all of them were Fast and the Furious fans. With so much hype from Part 7, obviously the final uh, film of Paul Walker, it made over a billion dollars. There was always the question of whether or not this next instalment in the franchise would work. You know, will it live up to the, uh, the standard, I guess, that it's set? Do you think it's going to get that billion dollars, first of all? Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, I, it definitely doesn't have the hype of what happened in the uh, previous movie, Furious 7, uh, but it definitely delivers on budget and scale. And I think from watching it with my audience, this movie absolutely worked. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it did hit that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know what they're going to do over in the States. Obviously, Donald Trump's a great example of that. So maybe everyone will flock to see this. I also was thinking, like, if people wanted to check it out, we've done Fast and the Furious Part 7 uh, back in 2015. If you want to go to podmeifyoucan.com, you can find it there in the search bar. Just search for Furious or something and it'll come up. All right, so uh, the formula's there. They've got girls. They've got cars. They've got action. This cinema session I went to see, I was supposed to start at 9.30, Lloyd. Actual film commenced at 10.02. That many commercials. 30 minutes, 32 minutes of commercials and, and ads, yeah, know, it's, trailers and ads. It's getting worse just with uh, just how, how movies are just trying to get, get movie theatres are just trying to get make as much money as possible and you're seeing yeah. very low-ball commercials there. I've just seen, you know, the local restaurant and it's just still images of the food, you know, just no hardly any production behind it. And back in the day when we were kids, you'd never see a, an ad like that at the movie yeah. theatres. It was uh, very frustrating. But then obviously the film began and I was on board. I did feel a little long, but I think that was because I sat through 32 minutes of trailers. All right. So first question, um, the trailer. Obviously, we know Dom turns on the family. So were you satisfied with the way they turned him bad and like why he was their enemy in this film? Well, I, I d- wasn't too... Uh, like, a lot of people were very disappointed with how early that was revealed why Dom turned, and it wasn't a big mystery. I thought, Like, th- that's what a trailer is um, designed to do. I think it, it's almost completely separate to what the director or the producers intend. The It's like almost like a separate entity, the, the marketing um, a- aspect of when a movie's released, and they are trying to design the best possible trailer from what they're given and if they can hold back on certain things and tease certain things 
I think that's what they're going for. And sometimes to the movie's uh, detriment, because in Furious 7, it's teased that The Rock was all throughout it, when in fact, if you do watch Furious 7, he's barely in the movie, or or at least he's holstered all throughout the movie. He doesn't come into the last... um, couple of minutes so for me I wasn't disappointed at all with how they revealed why Toretto has turned on his um, family at all I thought that was uh, actually really really well done yeah I mean well they explain Kylo Ren's you know parents and stuff right at the beginning of Star Wars episode 7 so it's not as if they waited a long time it's great to get in there and get the story get it going for me I felt a bit like Charlize Theron was hardly in it because I felt like she was Obviously through the whole film, but she would have shot those scenes over like three days in that one room. Yeah, I heard some critics say they must have had it just for a week. Yeah, it felt really short. Like, I I would have loved to have seen her get in a car, go for a drive, be involved in the action. I mean, we saw uh, the red-headed guy Rhodes, you know, he was her offsider. He was involved. And um, it's sort of even Scott Eastwood, who you feel like wouldn't be involved, like he's off working with Mr. Nobody, Kurt Russell... Uh, He was even driving cars around, you know, so they're sort of adding to the team, adding to the amount of people, but it was just a shame she was sort of felt like an afterthought almost. I think what F. Gary Gray brought to this film, and this may not be to everyone's taste, is he brought some stronger levels of violence and did such a great job of making Cypher, Charlie Theron's character, so effective. The scene where she kills Elena, Elsa Pataki, Um, was really, really well done. It's off screen and the camera focuses on Charlize Theron and Vin Diesel. It's very emotional and handled with a lot of maturity and skill, like they didn't go to extreme violence or anything like that. Uh, And I think it was very, very effective. Uh, It was such an effective moment in the movie and I did feel that maybe Cypher could possibly take out more of Toretto's team. Uh, Like you've got to remember the Avengers movie just doesn't have that luxury everyone is worth so much uh, money no one is going to die but in the Fast and the Furious movies maybe someone could die which adds to a bit of the drama um, by making the villain much more of a threat and also this is the first Fast and the Furious movie I think that has such strong levels of death Uh, a convict gets stabbed by the rock, a soldier yep. gets thrown into a submarine, uh, blades like the propellers. Yeah. Uh, so many goons die in this film. Um, I think in the early scenes in Germany, many office, police officers die from that wrecking ball. And it might not be to the spirit of the Fast and the Furious series. I personally think they could have left some of that out, but the death of Elena was very good. I can't remember if in the first one, when they were robbing the truck and the truck, um, the truckies trying to shoot him with a shotgun, they're in danger of actually killing that truck driver, and they try to avoid killing them him at all costs. I, I can't remember if that was the case, but it just the level of violence in this movie is nothing like I've ever seen in the Fast and Furious uh, franchise. Are you telling me you didn't stay up and watch all seven films before watching the eighth film? <laughs> <laughs> well, I interesting thing with uh, the Fast and Furious series, I didn't 
I gave up uh, watching them after the second one, you know, like uh, it wasn't until you told me to watch uh, Furious 7 that I sat down and watched the whole uh, franchise over a period of two weeks because I gave up on the, I liked the first one, I didn't mind the second one, but I just thought, yeah, I get it, hot chicks, good looking people, fast cars and these street races solve crimes, I get it, you know, and then when I watched the whole series, I was so blown away, this is a terrific action series, it just gets better and better extremely well done action scenes from hand-to-hand combat to shootouts um and and especially to the well-staged car chase sequences except for what we we talk about that often the cgi'd car chase under the um underground in uh, the third one or fourth one mm. yeah something i think fourth it was the fourth one yeah, yeah fourth one um that that, that was <laughs> that was a mess but horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible but i i really like the fast and furious series it has a really good heart to it at, at the end of it it's all about this guy trying to keep this family together. And yes, it's it, the whole franchise is really blown out of proportion into this super action series. But, you know, it. I think it always gives a nod to its fans and it's always welcoming of new fans by adding on all these multinational cast members and just, you know, adding to that market share value, you know, expanding as... <laughs> Yeah, it's exactly what we saw in Triple X. Exactly, Sander Cage. Exactly, we talked about that. Yeah, um, you're right on the death thing. Like you really do notice a death count when Tyrese is uh, in the snow and he's like goes forget this and he shoots and kills the three goons on um, you know on the snow. It's just like he's standing there for a minute and we get that great beat about him being like number eleven on the most wanted list. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. Everybody loved that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he's just th- killed three people and he just doesn't blink. Like, he was never a murderer. <laughs> and, and they have, those guys have families, you know, those, uh, you know, like all the cops in Germany who get hit by that wrecking ball. They're probably just cops, you, you know, with families and so forth. And gosh knows how many people died when uh, the zombie, which we'll get to, the zombie car apocalypse happens that Charlie Theron takes, overtakes all those cars and starts throwing them at Vin Diesel. I, I, I don't know how many people die in that. We just have to assume, you know, a lot got away and a lot didn't die. <laughs> that sequence, let's talk about it now. That was easily the best sequence of the film for me. That was excellent. It, it, there was a huge plot hole in it which they could have easily affixed um, during the zombie time moment when Cypher controls a lot of driverless cars. Uh, where was all that when Toretto needed her most? Couldn't she have used those cars to help Toretto escape? And uh, Like after the fact? Yeah. yeah, at least have some moment to acknowledge why they can't use it. Like have one of the hackers say, we've lost connection, I won't be able to get it up for another half hour. And then the she way goes, the satellite is or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then... Charlie's there on, or Cypher could have said, I won't be able to do anything for another 30 minutes, you're on your own. And that would have just solved that whole plot hole. The whole time I was thinking, just just use that zombie apocalypse. This is like the coolest thing I've ever seen, you know, yeah. in, in the Fast and Furious franchise. Did you see how many cars smashed into those limousines? Like, there was that wide shot and so many cars were just smashing into it. Then Vin Diesel casually walks up. He would have had to step over like 45 cars <laughs> to get to the limousine. I like I like but, it how he just has a shield and the guy shooting him with uh, the machine gun. After the guy finishes firing, he just throws away his shield. Just like, what if he reloads? <laughs> <laughs> For me, the whole New York sequence, you've got all those ghost cars, the zombie cars. I was wondering where the New York police presence was because they have time after they crash a million cars. No cops show up. No police helicopter is above them, which I really thought there would be. 
And um, then they all have time to shoot grappling hooks into Dom's car and they keep him there for a while before they evade on foot. And I was thinking at some point, some New York cop would have got a call. <laughs> They're there for like 25 minutes. They, the team has time to hear what's going on in like a police radio, then drive there, then try and stop Dom. So that's a fair chunk of time. And if they're hearing about it on, like, the news and everything, why isn't there any police presence? Well, they could have solved that in, like, two shots. Just have the police there, but they're trying to solve the chaos of all these cars just coming to life. Like, they're completely overwhelmed by that magnitude. Just have two shots of it. Like, uh, Or yeah. even the police cars have also been crashed. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, all the cops are all staggering out. They're completely out of it on this one and it's really up to the team to take down Toretto. I, I actually love that scene where they all spear Toretto's car and they can't hold him down. Like, what, what's really cool about that, like, each of the cars is kind of like a representation of their characters. Like, Toretto drives that iconic 70s Dodge Charger Sonic he has used and trashed throughout the whole series. Letty drives a 66 Corvette, you know, a very sexy fast car. They all suit the styles of the characters and I think Decker drives a Jaguar, you know, how very British of him. I'm surprised it wasn't Aston Martin or something James Bonzi. <laughs> the, rock, the Rock is in a Hummer. Yeah, he's in a Hummer, like a Jeep of some sort. Uh, Roman drives a Bentley, very show-offy. Scott Eastwood uh, drives a Subaru BRZ. I have no idea what these cars are, by the way. I just had to look them up before we did this. And all <laughs> I'm these... glad you have the information, yeah. <laughs> and all these cars from different cultures in varying power and styles can't hold down the power of this all-American vehicle, you know? It's just so powerful. And it kind of evoked, like, a sense of hunting, like these cowboys around a massive bull or a Mustang trying to hold them down and capture it. And it bespeaks of how much Toretto has... Uh, like that his whole team united can't even stop him and Toretto this street race has become this unstoppable action hero you know you have to accept this early on in the franchise I think from five the Brazilian one where he fights the rock that's how that's the mythology of Toretto he's just unbeatable like there's a big line in it he goes uh, you should kiss my son why because that's he's the only reason you're all alive right now <laughs> <laughs> The other thing is all those cars defy gravity in that grappling hook sequence. So <laughs> you've, you've really got to, you know, go with that as well. I thought we both, just before we went on the podcast, we agreed we weren't going to talk physics in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, my genuine problem with the movie, Lloyd, he stops the car. He flips up the hood. They don't get a good angle on him. Uh, that delivery truck is there. He goes and has that secret meeting with Helen Mirren. So prior to agreeing to work for Cypher, he, you know, uh, puts a tracking device in his necklace. That's fine. You know, I can appreciate that as a smart thing to do. Great. Didn't know what he was doing, but it worked out well in the end. Uh, but my problem is his buddy from Cuba, from the first scene where they casually introduced Dom's cousin. Also, I totally thought she'd kidnapped Dom's cousin because, you know, showed the screen. And I was like, well, I mean, it's the cousin, isn't it? That's, that's who's missing. Anyway, for me... Just seeing the fact that he had the foresight to ask his buddy in Cuba, whose respect he gained in that first street uh, race, yep. you know, the, the Cuban we'll, mark. We'll get into that race. <laughs> yeah, I'll just quickly. So yeah, the, yeah, you're right. The foresight he has to ask that guy to drive a delivery van 
and park it at, at the same place in whatever country he's in at that time. I don't know, is he in New York? Is he in London? I don't remember. Yeah, London. Um, oh, sorry, it was New York. Somehow he's able to communicate to the guy in Cuba, I need you to get to New York, drive a delivery van, park it here, you know, like make a blind spot for me. He knows all of that before he leaves Cuba. How is that possible? Well, like, Well, those Apple Watches, you can actually deliver quite a lengthy message just by your mind. It's like a new <laughs> update on the app. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Considering this is my big problem. They did this big wink to camera where that guy was the driver of the delivery truck. It would have worked fine if it was just coincidence. You know what I mean? Like it, if he just happened to have enough time to get back after talking to Helen Mirren and that delivery driver happened to be there, like it didn't matter. Well, it's effectively one phone call to the guy, right? That's all he needs. And your, uh, your problem with it was when did he ma- have time to make that phone call? Well, she's got him under pretty close surveillance, you would think. Yeah. He can't make a call to Letty and say, hey, um, just letting you know I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> uh, my son, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, yeah. He, he can't even give her... They're driving next to each other. He can't even shout, I'm not doing this. This isn't me. You know, like, you've just got to trust me or anything. He's, you know, he doesn't emote at the best of times, Dom. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, we'll get into that. <laughs> but but basically, like, my problem is, is he couldn't tell Letty and everybody that he wasn't a bad guy and that his son was the reason and blah, blah, blah. He didn't have time to explain it all. Yeah. But he had time to get in touch with that guy? Yeah, they, they did show a flashback sequence. I don't. It happened so fast, but maybe they could have inserted, like, a shot of him writing a letter or, or sending some uh, wire tap message or something, that, you know, just to acknowledge how he was able to get all that information across to that, that guy in Cuba. Well, as well, those two um, those two drivers he had from, like, Brazil yeah, and Fast Five, yeah. they pop up and they're like, you know, they were ambulance drivers for Jason Statham. Again, like, couldn't you have used them at another point in the movie? He has time to contact them to do this one little gig... It's so strange, like didn't unnecessary cameos, yeah, basically. Yeah, well, I actually like the nod, like they're just keeping that whole franchise relevant. We had a small uh, tease with um, Ava Mendes that I thought she was actually going to come back in eight because I think she was at the end of seven or, or the end of six. I'm not quite sure, but they're still keeping that all the characters in the franchise very relevant. Um, so, you know, the, there's at least that nod and acknowledgement to their existence. And it, it makes you miss Paul Walker even more. I, I actually, like, I think Scott Eastwood did a fine job here, but man, did I miss Paul Walker, especially when they brought up Brian's name, or maybe we could ask Brian. They said, oh, we're not, uh, I, um, uh, we said we weren't going to bother him, you know. I just would have preferred they just not brought him up just to remind you of mm. Paul Walker, you know. He's just like, man, I miss his presence. <laughs> well, but, I mean, they bring it up and they also kind of name the baby Brian at the end. I thought that was actually too on the nose. They should have called me, it baby Paul. <laughs> well, that's even worse, isn't it? That's like <laughs> winking through the film to the audience. And also Vin named his kid in real life Pauline. He had a girl after Paul Walker's death and named it Pauline. But to name the baby Brian in this universe, and then for Brian, he'll never see that kid. You know what I mean? Um, you're never going to have that scene where he goes, I named him Brian and like, you know, whatever. That's missing. To call him Brian says that Vin Diesel's character, Dom, has been so influenced by Brian, who's with his sister, he's changed his life, he wants to name his son after him. 
Do you think they've had that kind of relationship? Absolutely, Dave. They've had seven movies to establish that. Uh, the biggest thing this franchise has pushed is the family aspect. And whether it's those small moments where they're all having lunch at the back of the house, you know, they're all having the barbecue, they really are about each other and sticking together no matter what. So I think that absolutely worked. Like, uh, I think the audience was like, oh, you know, when he when he named, like everyone saw it coming, what the baby's name was. Like, you know, he's, he's got to call it Brian. But yeah, it, it definitely absolutely works. They've, they've established that connection with all of the characters throughout the whole series, I think. All right. Well, <laughs> didn't work for me, but I'm sure people will tell me that in their own time. <laughs> <laughs> the best part of The Fate of the Furious for me was the banter between between this the the really charismatic cast, specifically when The Rock and Jason Statham pay each other out, and I think the line went, "I'm going to knock your teeth so far down your throat, you're going to shove, you're going to need to shove a toothbrush up your ass to brush them," and then and then they smile at each other, and my whole cinema just absolutely <laughs> laughed at that moment. It was a really fantastic moment that these two former enemies come together, and now this is a huge stretch con- considering how much of a villain. Jason Statham was in the last movie, and I think he even killed one of the character, one of their family members in the, the last movie. But again, I think um, Number Seven was such a mess of a film. Uh, you, can go, you guys can go back and listen to that podcast. While it had a really fantastic ending, I'm specifically talking about the send off to Paul Walker. I do believe that movie was a complete and utter mess, and it get, I think generally fans give it a pass because considering what happened during the production of that film, and you know, so we're, we're just gonna let some things go here, but uh, um. What I really love is that these two characters, the, these two enemies are coming together and are fighting Cypher. And I love the back and forth between Roman, Therese uh, Gibson and Scott Eastwood and Ludacris and Ramsey. And on top of that, you got a character uniting the team, Mr. Nobody, played by Kurt Russell, who is one of the best um, or one of the greatest action stars of all time. It's just oozing these really charismatic um, uh, characters, these really colourful characters, and I don't think people understand how hard that is to pull off. It's very hard to have all these characters and make it work. And there are so many movies that just screw this up. Like, look at Batman vs Superman, for instance. There's so many characters in that movie and it just falls to pieces. Look at the mess of Suicide Squad. It's an absolute mess. Hell, if they had the cast and crew of the Fast and the Furious franchise, they could have made a really fantastic or really fun Suicide Squad movie. I really do believe that. And I, I get why people think Fast and Furious is a dumb franchise. I get it. It's over the top. Yeah, it's over the top action, but it's very good at what it does. And handling an assortment of characters like it's depicted in this movie with excellently crafted action set pieces is very difficult to do. I um, I think they've nailed most of the humor in this film, but obviously the action is crazy. And, and I felt like it was a good enough entry into uh, the series and the franchise. Uh, I enjoyed it. I felt like The Rock really nailed a lot of the humour. Tyrese was hilarious. Um, the fact that 
that love triangle between Tyrese, uh, Luda, and um, Ramsey. I don't know her real name. Oh, her, oh, yeah. Jumping around. Well, her, her real name is Natalie Emmanuel. She's from Game of Thrones, an English actress. I think she's absolutely beautiful. I would have loved to have seen Jordana Brewster. She, she's still my favourite. But Natalie Emmanuel is so damn hot. I love it when they were arguing about uh, the top 10 most wanted and Ramsey is 10. And Ludacris says, yeah, she's definitely a 10. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. so corny. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't realise she wasn't with Luda until the end of the film. Yeah, same. I thought they got with each she's other. She's riding in the car. Yeah. She's with him. She, they seem like they're hacking together. They're having a good time. And Tyrese isn't making any plays for her um, until the end when he's like, you should pick me instead of, you know, Revenge of the Nerds here or whatever. <laughs> what, what got the biggest laugh in, in the whole movie for you? I tell you what, the Rock's soccer mum bit was hilarious where there's more soccer mums than there were kids. The beat your ass like a Cherokee drum, big laughs. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you people... what, the, yeah, the soccer scene was amazing. It was, uh, it was incredible. I love it how it looks at all the mums. And they're all like, yeah, there's actually a lot more mums here than there are already. <laughs> but that moment that got the biggest laugh in my cinema um, uh, was when the uh, Roman Tyrese Gibson says Blanta to the African-American man on the forklift and calls him Black Bla- Santa. Black Santa. <laughs> okay, that didn't land in my cinema. Wow, For me, though, wow, okay, yeah. No, these, everyone just sort of sat still, but Roman had all the best lines uh, during that whole ice fight and, you know, taking selfies and stuff. Everybody laughed at everything Tyrese did. <laughs> Uh, it made me think, is he in anything else lately? I just, I only see him in Fast and the Furious yeah, movies. Yeah, that's right. Well, he, he doesn't need acting. I think he's very comfortable uh, living as an R&B singer, but hell, he's, he's doing fine as a character actor in the Fast and the Furious movie. I want to make a prediction. Uh, I, th- I think they're going to kill off uh, Kurt Russell in the next movie. Okay. See, that's why they brought in Scott is still going to be the villain, yeah. Uh, I actually think uh, we're going to see a bit more of Deckard and Shaw and Helen Mirren as villains in the next one with a kind of a subplot with Cypher that's going to build to the last one they're going to do. For me, though, um, I feel like uh, they're going to kill off Kurt Russell and then Scott Eastwood steps up, you know, he fills the the role. Um, I think that's why they've been grooming him in this film. So you can uh, you lo- lose Kurt Russell in the next one. That's my prediction. <laughs> Oh, when coming into this movie, I actually heard someone ask his mate, who is the token white guy in this movie, <laughs> which actually made me smile. I- I'm assuming, of course, they meant Scott Eastwood, although <laughs> Jason Statham could easily fit that description as well. And it really told me how multicultural the team is. I think it's great. It- it's a great team. Um that is one of the best uh, team fra- franchises out there. We did a whole podcast on best movie teams. You guys can check that one out. I think, Dave, you had as your number one the Ocean movies and I had the Wild Bunch. Was, was that right? Mm. You had the Ocean movie? That sounds correct. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I, I think... Um, the establishment of the team and how they're including Deckard, they're including all these people. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they include Charlie's Theron in the next one and then they go into outer space, you know, so they're taking on, I don't know, Unicron from Unicron from <laughs> bloody Transformers the movie. <laughs> wow, what a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> I um I actually love. I just want to talk about the opening of this movie, which I absolutely love. We have like a back to basics opening, which showcases the only real street race in the movie, and it's very textbook. A lot of fan service, and F. Gary Gray did a fantastic job here. The Cuban Mile 
whatever that is. That's <laughs> a more dangerous cars still going around type mile, I guess. <laughs> it was really cool. It like begins with gratuitous shots of supermodel like ladies, of course, has a tough guy confrontation with very corny lines that I'm sure the street racing culture will emulate. Epic street races, which culminate in an explosion. Um, but what I love here is the goodwill between the guys. Toretto gives up his car to his cousin. He refuses to accept winning the car from the other racer. And there is just a really friendly scene. Like if you're if you're a fan of the Fast and the Furious movie since the beginning then, man, you have been rewarded with an excellent franchise here that has definitely grown to be a huge epic action series, but it has never forgotten its roots as a simple car race you know, movie. And I feel the opening was a nod to that audience, was like, hey, we're not forgetting where we're coming from. By the way, this is for you guys. Let's get into the action. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, mm. they're doing really well to at least not forget those original fans. Well, as well, after like, uh, I can't remember if it was five or six, they're super rich. Yeah, yeah, so that's right. <laughs> he, he doesn't need that car and he doesn't need the other guy's car. They're on their honeymoon and what's he going to do with two cars anyway? <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice. I, I see what you're saying. It's nice that he's a nice guy and that his respect is more important. But um, yeah, when uh, Cypher approaches him, you know, she's got a broken down car and whatnot. She says, what's the best thing in your life? And he says... Family, because he says that. Yeah, I am Groot in this film is family. <laughs> Charlize Theron is such an amazing actress. I, I, you know, she was just wiping the floor with Vin Diesel. Like we all accept the mythology of um, uh, Toretto, but uh, some of Vin Diesel, he just can't match. You know, he, Charlize Theron is just on a different level. You know, and yeah. it really comes to the forefront in those scenes. You're right, family. <laughs> <laughs> well, he barely has to emote, like we said, but she says to him, uh, why only live a quarter a, a quarter mile at a time when you can live your whole life that way? What does that mean? I guess live life as fast and as, you know, as fast paced as possible the entire time. Oh, you were about to say fast and furious. <laughs> <laughs> why only live a quarter mile at a time when you can live your whole life that way? I was dumbstruck by that line. It didn't seem like it made sense, so I just wanted to repeat it. <laughs> yeah, it just felt like a flaw in the script. The script wasn't, I guess, plot-wise. It felt really relevant, like um, America-Russian relations are strained. Guess what? Trump. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. And uh, they're worried about World War Three. They're trying to stop a nuke. There's an EMP. It all felt very current, uh, which I liked. And actually, speaking of current and EMPs, when he's driving in with the EMP and, you know, doing it underneath the, um, uh, you know, releasing it underneath the submarine and stuff, wouldn't that knock out his car? Yeah, I don't know how that works. I'm just assuming like Pacific Rim, you you remember how their robot was like analog, like it was old school, it wasn't powered by anything electrical, so it can survive um, an EMP shock and still function. So I'm assuming because Toretto's car is a 70s Dodge Charger and it has older mechanics within it, it can survive these modern attacks of hacking. It can't be hacked by, you know, what um, uh, Cypher has where she can go into driverless cars and control them. It can't 
can't be hit by an EMP because there's nothing really electrical about it. It's all analog. That was subtle um, enough to get me. Uh, I'm shocked um, your biggest problem in the plot hole was the van blocking the view. I thought you would have had something to say about uh, <laughs> the rock picking up the torpedo and redirecting it at the Russian guys. That was fantastic. <laughs> we can go with that. I mean, it's ridiculous as it is or whatever, but... There's lots of little problems, I suppose, like the God's Eye stuff, you know, like I really thought that would be more of an issue. Uh, the fact that they create that technology in the other film and, you know, they still have that existing technology. They were able to kind of conquer that in the script. But now it's a problem because they've got Cypher's plane by the end of this one. She's parachuted out of there back to return in nine or ten. And now they've got God's Eye back. So whatever the problem is next time... They've got that technology again. You know, when um, Letty asked Dom, you know, should we have a baby kind of thing? I thought, uh, okay, yeah, cool. We'll see her pregnant at the end of this film. And then when Elsa Pataki turns up and the son, who's she dubs Marcus, but that's his middle name. I was like, oh, okay, we're killing off Elsa Pataki. And then Dom and Letty are going to raise this baby. And I absolutely wasn't surprised when she was killed. Just think if she wasn't killed, how were they going to work this? It's going to be awkward. Um, <laughs> it's gonna. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. How many people were whispering at that moment when Pataki appeared, and everyone's like in the theater to whisper, "Who's that? What's going on? Is she from the fourth <laughs> one or fifth one?" Everyone in my whole theater was doing it. You know, yeah, it took nobody me. Nobody could remember. I, I, I am so done with plot, Dave. Like, I didn't even connect that. I thought Jason Statham actually died when Toretto shot him. I didn't connect Helen Mirren and him together. Yeah. I am so bad with plot. My, my the friends who I saw this with, what they were like, what? We saw that coming a mile away. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, I saw it coming. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, yeah, but uh, you know, it just has that uh, nod to the fans. And if you again sticking with the whole franchise, you know, which you kind of have to if you're going into this. It, the film doesn't hold back, you know. It's just like you, you better watch the other ones before you watch this movie. <laughs> I, I love it um, when Deckard and his brother infiltrate Cypher's ship. They both go into the ship. The, the film did actually a really w a, a good job of staying true to the characters here because, remember, Deckard by himself took out an entire army of people in the previous film and it's consistent in the fate of the, uh, of the Furious. Like, granted, the film granted the film did have that really loose moment where Toretto just shoots him and he falls down. You know, that, that was pretty weak. It should have been more of a battle, like, more believable before Deckard goes out. I think that would have sold my friends more, like, that, that he actually died from Toretto. They could have had more of an action scene there. But once... Deckard gets on Cypher's plane, it doesn't matter how good Cypher's men are, they're all going down. Like, he is such a, a, a powerful force. He's going to take out everyone. Th there's just, again, that level of violence, which I just don't feel is consistent with the Fast and Furious movies. We have a shot of the baby in the foreground, and in the background you're seeing Jason Statham smash a guy's face in, like, on uh, you know, on a table or something. And it's just a really violent tone that I don't think is consistent in the Fast and the Furious franchise. I think all that stuff with the baby was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I might have blinked and missed this. So he goes onto the plane with his brother, Owen Shaw. So Deckard and Owen on the plane. Just quickly, uh, those two guys from Brazil shouldn't have been driving the ambulance. It should have been Owen. He should have been the one that loaded Jason Statham's body in. And then we all would have seen that coming. I mean, like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, 
Uh, that's his brother. And then when Helen Mirren said, you're taking your brother, he could have been driving going, yeah, you know, what, you're like having a bit of back and forth, like little family bicker. Well, I got from it, it needed, they needed Jason Statham to break him out because only he had the capabilities to do that. Right. But also you need two people there to turn the keys. Yeah. So did Owen turn the keys? Yeah, that's right. He he got to the front of the plane. He was holding hostage the, the pilot. So they're pretty much in yeah. control of the plane. Then he puts the key to the um the top he goes ready and then Jason Statham goes ready and then they both turn the keys. So Right, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Blinked and missed it or was writing a note or something. But I was like, did that even happen? Because the only bit I remember was the door slides open and he comes into the room yeah. and gets the baby. And it, I was like, shouldn't his brother be here as well? But yeah, he was obviously not involved in the fighting. Uh, I thought the hackers who were in the plane with Cypher were also very well directed. They didn't feel awkward. They felt very real and competent. And to me, the best seconds in a computer room ever uh, is Enemy of the State, starring Will Smith, where you had Jack Black and Seth Rogen play all the computer guys. Like, I, I don't think Fate of the Furious is on that level, but the, the seconds here are really good. I, I don't know if I'm, like, the only one that picks up on this, but I, I like that. I could tell if uh, the guys are just sloppily directed, just, oh, you're just hitting the computer. If the boss tells you to do something, you just say yes. You know, the, the, there's actually some fi finite directing there that that has to go on, just a little detail there. Um, I, th I think a good example is Enemy of the State. I think they, they all did a really fantastic job. It's not just guys punching on a computer. They're actually, you know, uh, uh, jabbing at each other and have their own lingo and language. So I guess where does it go from here? What do you see for Fast Nine? Like Fast Nine in space. That's that's <laughs> they've got to go to space, Dave. It's got to be rockets or Sonic. You know, <laughs> where gravity can't hold them down or Sonic like that. <laughs> well, I kind of thought that they've got Helen Mirren and Deckard and Owen, and they're going to be the villains of the next one. Wow! I kind okay. of assume yeah, they're, yeah. they're all free, and there's three of them, and they're like. They they're really well connected and they're well. Well, Jason Statham was at the dinner table at the very end of Fast and the Furious Eight, so I'm assuming he's now part of that family. I, I just I think it's temporary. You think it's temporary? I, I don't. I personally don't think that is. I think um, Jason Statham and The Rock are too good of a combination together. I think everyone loved it so much, and I think they're going to go more in that direction, like them two together. They're bantering between each other, and I think the villain is either going to be Charlie Theron on steroids, or it's going to be another super villain, probably bringing something someone back from the past. Maybe. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Ava Mendes. I don't know why she'd be a villain, but <laughs> like, oh, she'll come back at some point. Yeah, definitely. But I, I see Helen Mirren having something to gain and dragging Deckard back, and you know, she's my mum, mate, or whatever. Um, I think they're going to rest the Rock in the next one. They at the end of this one, Daddy's going to stay home for a while. Then they need him at the end, or they need him for the finale because this is a trilogy, of course, Lloyd. Yeah. This was eight. We're having nine and ten, and that is the end. So you can't. I suppose, do everything in 9 because you've got to save something for 10. So if right at the end of 9, The Rock turns up, like, let's go into back into business for episode 10 kind of thing, I think that would be stronger. In the same way, like, uh, Jeffrey Rush returns to the Pirates of the Caribbean right at the end, setting up for the final in the first three films, I suppose. Uh, he's turned up at the end of the second one. I feel like The Rock is going to be rested for most of the next film just to come back at the end and set up a huge Furious 10, whatever they're going to call it. Um, and so I think Nine will take a back seat. It won't be Charlize Theron for, for my money. I think she's coming back for Ten. I think Ten has to be built to be Helen Mirren, 
and Jason Statham and Cypher Zabaddy and uh, maybe, you know, Owen Shaw will get killed off in the ninth one or something, setting up an even worse kind of, you know, 10, I suppose. Because you've got to build 9 into 10, kill off Kurt Russell, bring in Scott Eastwood as the Do boss. Do you think Toretto will die in the 10th one? No. No, okay. I, I think I think they imagine the final shots of number 10 and they could bring back, you know, Paul Walker's brother to stand in for this. Final shots is like they've all got families and they're all at some beach house or whatever it is and it's like a big we're all retired and there's no longer any threat to us. You know what I mean? Um, the happy ending here, I think, is the family aspect where you've got basically all of them together at the end and you've got to have Dom and Letty and maybe Letty's pregnant and holding like a, you know, four-year-old or five-year-old or however much time has passed with this kid and everybody's kind of paired off. You know, you've got somebody for everybody, you've got everybody's happy, everybody's fulfilled and everyone who's still alive, I suppose. You know, you've got Dwayne Johnson, um, Hobbs, you've got his little daughter there. Maybe he gets a love interest in in 10 and winds up with her at the end Ramsey's obviously got to pick one of the two dudes you give the other one something or someone or whatever you know you just you give everyone this kind of happiness at the end because that's that's the most satisfying way to end these films you know maybe just happiness really family yeah that, that that's at the heart of all the Fast and Furious movies and I think that came um, to a culmination with the ending of uh, Furious 7. As much as I don't like that movie, I think it's an absolute mess. That ending is so beautiful. It's like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in any movie. It's just so well done. Just the pacing of it, how they inserted the flashbacks. And everyone in my cinema got absolutely emotional at that scene. And it, it, so the Fast and Furious movies does have a very good heart that promotes family, that promotes this, you know, we're a team, we're working together and and everything like that. And I think that's one of the reasons why this franchise is so successful. Not only is it self-aware that it's an over-the-top action film series and it delivers on that, like, hell, we got a submarine on this one. Cars are running away from a submarine, you know. They're only going to top that with you know, some sort of space sequence, I think. That's why I just think they've they've gone to all areas. Maybe they could have an underwater race somehow. I don't know. <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> they haven't wow. they haven't moulded this series into Mask. Have you ever seen that show? Do you remember that show Mask where they'd all their cars could transform in from a boat to a car or from a car to a plane and they all have these masks? Like I just feel like Fast and Furious went in that direction almost. Not 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 as scientific science fictiony as the that cartoon series but almost on that level <laughs> i haven't seen it or i can't remember it but yeah um they've you've, you've complained before that they're too invincible so did you think that about them here no not not after the death of um alina that that was so effective like uh, uh, that, that's what the avengers movies needs it needs a villain to kill somebody off so you can go okay somebody could die here one of the reasons why game of thrones is so effective because you you don't know who's going to die any character in that movie could die at any second you know and that's one of the reasons why it's such an effective drama we know, we all know there's certain characters in the fast and furious movies that aren't going to die toretto's one of them probably uh, um, Lenny, um, she probably won't die. Letty? Letty, sorry, Lenny. <laughs> I, I'm thinking <laughs> of uh, Taken. <laughs> um, You're good. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, y- you know, but once they're willing to kill 
you know, Toretto's uh, girlfriend who he had a baby with, you know, anyone could have died at that point. Like, I, I, I really thought Le- Letty might have been shot by that sniper in the ice um, scene. I really thought okay. that might have happened, um, that she would have been shot and, and mortally wounded, you know. So it did It did have that dramatic um, threat that somebody could be um, wiped out. Well, I mean, I feel like now they've established Dom and Letty. They're married. They got married in the seventh one. When he left his um, cross there, I was like, oh, what a dick move, because that was like his wedding ring. Um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> but yeah, because it had the tracking device, I was like, all right, it's fine, it's fine. Uh, you know, they wanted to do a spin-off of Fast and the Furious with Hobbs. That's Dwayne Johnson's character. Um, so I think if they want to keep that kind of as a possibility, they've got to keep him alive at the end. Otherwise, I think everyone else is fair game. I think you might see Tyrese sacrifice himself or, you know... Uh, um, but I think they'll keep Luda because Luda's going to wind up with Ramsey, in my opinion. Have a baby um, together. Oh, look, they don't have to. Like, the final scene of the, the, final, scene of the final movie could be a marriage. It could be you know, just a reunion or like, you know, just setting people up for their kind of, what are you going to do now? It's like, oh, you know, go back to whatever. Maybe Luda says, I'm thinking about a rap career or something, you know, like (laughs) they're just, they've just got to kind of put happiness in front of these characters. But with two films to go, that's probably like four four odd hours of uh, Fast and the Furious left to enjoy. You got to think that each um, you know, each instalment they're gonna inject some more people into it. So, you know, maybe we'll see uh, the evil equivalent of Kurt Russell's character, Mister Nobody, yeah. some government agent yep. who comes in and just like you know knows everything, can take everything from them, drain their bank accounts. They're obviously put them back in the top ten most wanted, make their lives a living hell, bring them out of hiding, whatever he needs to do. You know, so you bring in some top shelf actor to do that as well you could have the possible british villains you know in helen mirren jason statham and uh luke evans how about if they kill kurt russell off helen mirren is the new kurt russell well she she's she's a different agency because she's british um she would be like mi6 but because she's a villain she's like connected by some mafia like do you know how many people i know and she's like a real kind of she's got a bit of a cockney accent like she's a bit more common or something she was only in two scenes, though. She was in that meetup where he gives her the the watch, <laughs> telepathically tells her everything she has to do. And in the ambulance. Uh, the ambulance scene, yeah. So she was briefly in this. She wasn't in the opening credits or anything. I thought she would be. So, you know, look, I think they've they've got so many characters, so much mythology. I enjoyed this film. Like, it was a lot of fun. Which one's your favourite? Maybe the first one, but... Maybe I'm trying to separate five and six here as well. How about yourself? I'm probably going with six, five and six. Um, probably more so six, the one in London. It just went really balls to the wall, you know. <laughs> this is like a, a super action team. They're all James Bond fighting another James Bond unit and it had a lot of jokes which really um, hit a chord with me. And I think Justin Lin, um, he, 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 get, he, he needs to get so much more credit um, than what he already gets, you know, because I think he's done a fantastic job of taking this B-grade franchise into this multi-billion-dollar series. Uh, I, th- I think he's done excellent, and um, and I-, I really enjoy watching these movies. Like the fast, watching Fast and the Furious Eight, I had a lot of fun in in my movie theater. Everyone was laughing at all the jokes. The action was just kept getting uh, really hilarious and out there and really fun. I really enjoyed what was 
I was really looking forward to what was going to happen next, you know, and um, especially this cast. It's just a really fantastic ensemble of action heroes, kind of like Expendables almost. Like I really enjoyed watching The Expendables. My only criticism of that series is that no one can die. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen the third one, but Mel Gibson just can't do anything. It's ridiculous. Like uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's team is, is just too powerful. But at least in the Fast and the Furious franchise, you have that threat of people dying. You have much more of a... Because women are almost as strong as the men in this uh, series, you have relationships that are going on and it adds more to the drama when one of them dies. And I think the Asian character dies in the fifth or sixth one. Maybe it's the... Maybe it's I think he's killed by Jason Statham. Yeah, oh, in the sixth one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he sets up the bomb in Tokyo Drift, doesn't yeah. he? Right, yeah, but that just... And that's a weird one as well because that was like a prequel or something. But it just adds to that threat that if these relation, if these characters can have a relationship, when one of them does die, it really you really feel that loss. You can't do that in The Expendables, you know, because they're all guys. You know, it's just there's hardly any women in it or if there are, they're always a damsel in distress. No, I think... They've got a good thing going for them. Like I said, it's like big blockbuster entertainment and it's enjoyable. Like they've got a lot of funny stuff. Tyrese nailed a lot of these jokes. It was great. The Rock doing the haka with the the soccer team. You know, the audience got a kick out of it. And I think you and I have enjoyed this much more because we've had a packed crowd. Yeah, um, that and we we grew up with these guys. You know, we watched them at a very young age. Uh, Dave, I love that story you tell when you saw the first one and everyone who got in their car afterwards was revving their engines and everything like that. Like the, 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 That movie's influence in the subcul- street racing subculture is so huge. Like, we still quote this movie to this day. Like, it's not how you stand by your car. It's how you race it. you got to learn that. You know, these really corny lines, but they just stick because they're delivered with so much char- charismatic, um, with so much charisma. <laughs> I owe you a 10-second car. I live my, my, uh, my life a quarter mile at a time. You know, daddy's got to go to work. There's now all these kind of little lines that, yeah, definitely, they're iconic now to the series. I kind of thought, just to go back to the baby thing quickly... I think Dom said some stuff about his dad in the first one, you know, helping him fix up cars and stuff, like his dad had died. Surely naming his kid after his dad would have been a better move. Yeah, no, that, that's, that, that's a good point. I, I think they just had to go in that direction for, for the sake of the audience as well. Let's say we don't agree... Let's say it doesn't work um, how much Paul Walker's character Brian meant to Toretto. It, it, they needed it for the sake of the audience so everyone can go, oh, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it, um, Paul Walker still lives on through these characters, I guess, through, through, through the sun. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just needed that pandering um, to the audience. Yeah, I just don't feel like that's what this film should have been about. And for me... In this world, Brian's still alive. He's married to your sister or dating your sister. He's yeah, your brother-in-law, that, that's basically. That's very true, yeah. So, like, if Brian had died in the last film, naming a baby Brian is, like, it makes sense because you're, like, yeah, honouring his memory. I understand. But he's not dead in this. So I was like, oh, really? Is that... It's a bit on the nose. Like, there's not a male version of the, the name Elena, like, really, that you could use, uh, like, to honour her death which they, nobody really mourned. Um, there was no funeral or anything like that. But yeah, I just, I just thought it was too on the nose. That's me. 
uh, I was like, oh, really? Because like I really thought we played out those beats. That with Brian that is and- perfectly fine criticism. Yeah, for the sake of the story and character wise, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because his character isn't dead. Why name the character after the, after Brian? You know, because he's still around. But yeah. I, I don't know. As a producer, I would be screaming, going, "No, you, you have to name him Brian." <laughs> yeah, I know. It just feels like such a forced, I don't know, wedged in there kind of note That's from a Hollywood. Very valid criticism. All right. Well, that was Fate of the Furious. Obviously, two years from now, we'll be talking about Episode Nine, which I mean, I don't have a clever possible title for it, but um, the second last one. <laughs> <laughs> you can also check out. We've covered off on. Um, Furious 7 as well. We've done Triple X. Lloyd's name dropped a bunch of films in this, like uh, Suicide Squad. And if you just search at podmeifyoucan.com, search bar there, you can find any of our previous ones. There's a whole archive. We've been doing this for a few years now. Uh, Next time on the show, we're looking to bring you Lego Batman. We were going to do it this week, but this film came out and we thought, Lego Batman, we don't have time for you. It's that (laughs) Jimmy Kimmel joke. Uh, Our apologies to Matt Damon. Our apologies to Lego Batman. Uh, We'll definitely get to you. (laughs) But yeah, no, check out our our podcast, podmeifyoucan.com, and you can find a link to our YouTube channel and uh, check out all the obscure films we've done there with famous people in them. It's a lot of fun. We're enjoying ourselves on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, drop us a line, drop us your notes. Podmeifyoucan.com. That's where our Twitter handles are. That's where you can find our Facebook. That's where you can get in touch and tell us that you loved the fact that uh, they named the baby Brian, that uh, you think Charlie's Theron will be back in nine. You tell us what you think there. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on Pod Me If You Can. Hit it. for listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 